0: Good morning, can I give you all a very warm welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church this morning, those of us who are here and those of you who are joining us online. Uh, Can I remind you, please, you have one week uh, to get back your uh, church weekend registration forms. I'm very much looking forward to joining with you on the first weekend of October, looks like an amazing program. If you intend to come and join us, please would you get your forms back to us uh, in time for next Sunday so we get a clear idea who's coming. This has been a momentous week in British history. We have a new Prime Minister and a new King. I'm going to ask that we we start by standing and just having a few moments' silence to reflect, to give thanks for Her Late Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, and then we will sing the national anthem, uh, singing for, for King Charles III. So can I invite you to stand and a few moments' quiet reflection? Father, we give you thanks for her late majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. For her selfless dedication to you and to us. For her faith. For the example that she set. We commend her to you, your faithful servant. And we commend to you too her son, our king, Charles III. May your grace rest upon him in these coming days and weeks and months and years. May his reign be a time of blessing to us as a nation, as a commonwealth, and to the wider world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus welcomes you. The lost and the lonely, the nervous and the confident, those whose hearts are full of joy and those who are burdened with grief or sorrow, you are welcome. And we join in worshipping our God together. We sing, come people of the risen King. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost and you have found us. Thank you that you have made the Father known to us and we are known and loved by you. Thank you for your constancy, your faithfulness, your unending love and your undiminished passion for us, your people. Amen. Higher than the mountains. makes you special. Kit, the sheep, was special because the shepherd loved him. But it didn't always feel that way. Sometimes he just felt like he was one of the crowd. The other 99 sometimes felt more important than he did. And sometimes the other 99 actually weren't very nice to him. So one day when he found himself a bit on the edge of the flock and no one was looking, he wandered off by himself. Nobody seemed to notice, nobody seemed to be bothered particularly, and as he wandered on actually it felt quite liberating, away from all those other tiresome sheep, not even the shepherd watching over him all the time. And there was a sense of liberation and freedom and he he was quite happy. But as time went on, he began to feel a little bit more uncertain, a little bit anxious, maybe even a little bit lonely. And he wasn't sure where he was. He wondered whether he should go back, but he wasn't sure of the way, and he wasn't sure what the shepherd would say to him if he went back. So it was easy just to to carry on. But eventually he found himself in the middle of nowhere feeling quite alone and quite afraid. What he didn't realize, of course, was that the shepherds had missed him. Straight away, where's Kit? Counted the sheep, 99, counted them against the 99. Where, where's Kit gone? And, and the shepherd was out hunting for him, looking high and low to try and find Kit. But Kit wasn't aware of that. He didn't know the shepherd missed him. He didn't know the shepherd was looking for him. And when the shepherd eventually tracked him down and found him, Kit was well and truly stuck and quite upset. And it took quite a bit of work to free Kit. And the shepherd actually hurt himself quite badly in the process. But it didn't matter. The important thing was that Kit was found and he was brought home again, reunited with the shepherd and with the rest of the flock, back where he belonged. The Lord is your shepherd. Let's sing together. The Lord's my shepherd. I'll not want. i like you to be seated. If you're going upstairs to BRBK, now's the time to go. God bless you. Have a great time upstairs. Thank you for joining us for the first part of our service. Well, the sign says everyone is welcome. But the door is locked and overgrown and clearly has not been opened for a very long time. Clear case of mixed messages. God welcomes people, all people, into his kingdom. But are we an open door? Do we welcome people into our hearts? When COVID came, we got used to shutting ourselves away. Gradually, we've opened up again. But are there doors in your life? Are there doors in our church that God wants to open? Let's pray Lord where we've closed doors where we should have opened them forgive us when we stayed in the box when you called us to break out forgive us When we have bubble-wrapped ourselves so thoroughly we can't even begin to perceive what's outside our experience. Forgive us. When we've been gatekeepers instead of welcomers. Take away from us any tendency to pass judgment on others. Throw away all condemnation. Enable us to celebrate and embody the loving invitation of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name, who gave himself for us. ever-living God, we thank you for welcoming us into your family of grace. Where we've been lost, you've sought us out. You retrieve us, you untangle us from the thorns that snare us, your hands are kind and you restore us with joy. So thank you for not just accepting us, but celebrating us, delighting in us, enabling us to rediscover the joy of what it means to belong to you. Where our hearts have been closed, open them again to receive and to share your love and to welcome others as you have welcomed us. We ask in Jesus' name. of a wonderful yeah. love <laughs>
1: Our Bible reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, and we'll read in the first 10 verses. And here Luke records one of Jesus' not infrequent uh, interactions, let's say, with the Jewish religious leaders. And this is what Luke recorded. Luke 15, then, and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the (coughs) sinners... We're all gathering around him, that's Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose... Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And we leave Luke's account there.
0: Thanks Ian. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that the temptations of the world can lead us astray. We can be like sheep sighting a patch of greener grass and we go after what is new and more exciting and enticing. We pray for all those who are tempted away from what is right and meaningful and good. Seek them out. Set their feet back on the right path, we pray. And where darkness has descended, Lord, and people can't see the way, the future is daunting and they feel lost reassure them that you have not forgotten them remind them of your love and care and enable us to watch out for each other to support each other to keep each other within the fold of your family. And you know, Lord, that when things go wrong, the cares of this world can draw us away from you. We can be like a a coin falling into the shadows. Sudden misfortune enters our lives and it feels like we're rolling away from everything that held us safe. So we pray for those affected by serious illness. Financial hardship, the breakdown of relationships, loss of employment, bereavement, hold on to them at times when their grip on you is loosening, we pray. And on this Education Sunday we pray for our education system which feels broken in so many ways. We commend to you students preparing to return to university or go for the first time. We pray for children who've gone back to school. And for the thousands of children who haven't returned to school since COVID. We pray for teachers, some of them under immense pressure. And support staff, for head teachers, give them your grace we pray. Pray for play school as it restarts this week. Pray that the new team would work effectively and well together. That this would be a blessing for that part of our church's work and ministry. And for Kit Malthouse, the new education secretary. May he give reason to hard-press people in education to welcome his appointment. Enable him to do a good job to benefit students, whatever their age, we pray. We recognise that he's been appointed by a new Prime Minister and we pray for Liz Truss. Recognising that she has been appointed at a time of national change, international crisis. We pray that you would uphold her. Give her wisdom. Pray that she'd have those who offer her wise counsel. We pray, Lord, that you would enable her to lead this nation well. And that your grace would be upon her. Enable her to get on top of things and in all the difficult decisions she makes enable her to choose the right path even if it's the hard path we ask. And again we pray for King Charles III comfort him in the loss of his mother enable him to be a new strong figurehead for our nation draw us together where we have become a distant from each other and enable him to lead us by good example as to how to live our lives as citizens of the United Kingdom. May your spirit rest upon him, we pray. And as he's spoken of his faith, we pray that you would be his support and his guide his Lord and his Saviour. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. How sweet the name of Jesus. Aren't we all sinners? <coughs> Context shapes a message. You see a sign like that outside a church, and the odds are we'd all nod sagely in agreement. It's absolutely right, isn't it? Didn't St Paul say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? We're all sinners, so we all need the gospel. <coughs> see the same sign? on the wall of a bar in Melbourne, Australia, as part of the nighttime economy, and it sends out a a different message, perhaps. In this different context, it seems to imply we're all sinners anyway, so it doesn't matter what we do. Just come and enjoy yourself and have fun. You might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. If you're going to sin, sin big time and enjoy it. That's not the message I want you to take away from this morning's sermon though Luther did say if you're going to sin, sin boldly. But actually, even here, we're all sinners, aren't we? Just that the sins we commit in church tend to be a little bit less overt, a little bit less obvious, more cleverly disguised, perhaps. But make no mistake, if you're looking for a sin-free zone, don't look here. But then, I say, scratch the surface of any church in town and you'll find all kinds of stuff lurking underneath. In Christ, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are loved, and we are in the process of being changed for the better. But fundamentally, we're sinners. And if you disagree with that, or object to it. Somebody said to me at the end of the service where we'd use the prayer of confession. That's all very well, but I haven't sinned this week. That wasn't here, but it was somewhere else. That attitude of it's not me, you just be part of the way in which sin has the tendency to blind us to our own faults and shortcomings. Deceiving us by inculcating a lack of self-awareness. Self righteousness is an indication of sin blinding us to how we really are. The Pharisees and teachers of the law who criticized Jesus did not see themselves as sinners. In their black and white view of society, they were the righteous ones. The sinners were those responsible for the plight of the nation. The fact that Rome was in charge was a clear indication that something was wrong, that God was angry with his people. Who's to blame? Well, it's the sinners, it's those people there. If it wasn't for them, everything would be all right. And tax collectors were front and centre when it came to being held in the category of sinners. They had nothing going for them. They were notoriously dishonest. They resorted to violence and intimidation. To extract more than was due from the hard working law observant people of the land, and what, did end, what didn't end up in their own pockets ended up bankrolling the Roman administration. They were working actually indirectly for the occupying power. They were kind of like the bully boys in the first century protection bracket. There was a Jewish saying repentance is hard for tax collectors. Why so? Well, they defrauded and swindled so many people, how could they begin to figure out who they owed restitution to and how much they owed? The, The very idea of a righteous tax collector was necessarily a contradiction in terms. They were beyond the pale. So then, what on earth did Jesus think he was doing, making them welcome, eating their food, enjoying their company, which was tantamount to endorsing their lifestyle. And the word used here for welcoming can be a pretty powerful one. St. Paul uses it a couple of times. He tells the church in Rome to make Phoebe, a servant of the church at Crai, welcome. That's not about giving her a cup of instant coffee and a rich tea biscuit. They were to take her into their homes and into their hearts to welcome her in the Lord as a manner worthy of the saints and to provide for all her needs. Take her to your heart, he said. Similarly, the church in Philippi, make Epaphroditus welcome. And Epaphroditus was one of their own. He'd been out on their behalf ministering to Paul. He'd been at death's door. He was only now just well enough to to make the journey back home again. They would have welcomed him with open arms, again, taking him into their hearts. So the problem for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law was that Jesus was wholeheartedly welcoming and partying with people who actually were downright immoral, and they weren't happy about it. One of Aesop's fables is about a man who wanted to purchase a donkey. And he agreed with the owner that the animal should have a trial period, that he should try the animal out before he actually (coughs) made the full payment for him. So he took the donkey home, put it in the straw yard with the other donkeys, upon which the, the new animal left all the others, and at once joined the one who was the laziest and greediest donkey of the bunch. Seeing this, the man put a halter on him and took him straight back. And when the owner of the donkey said, how did you know? How do you know you don't want the donkey in such a short time? He said, I don't need time to look at him. I know he will be just like the one he chose as his companion. The moral is, you know a man by the company he keeps. And Jesus kept bad. And it was in response to these accusations that he told the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. If you've ever lost your keys, you will know the lengths that the woman went to in order to find her missing coin. No rest until she'd recovered it. The shepherd keeps looking and looking and looking until he has found the sheep he has lost the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had completely misconstrued the heart of God. In their eyes, the sinners were reprobates, best shunned and left to their own nefarious devices. But actually, each one of those tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, is loved by God. And Jesus eating and drinking with them, welcoming them, accepting them, in that we see God's Seeking out, his searching for, his acceptance and welcome of those who were beyond the pale. The Australian website, simplybible.com, puts sinners into three categories. There are people who are struggling, decent people who want to do the right thing, who are trying and not quite managing it. What they need perhaps is redemption. Then there are people who are drifting. People have lost their way, wandered off the right path, rather like the sheep in the parable. They need finding and rescuing and restoring. And then there are what the website calls the hardened sinners. People who have rejected God and who are dedicated to evil. And the website's advice is the best thing to do with them is just avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. Well, at one level I can see the sense of that, but that doesn't reflect... God's heart, or Jesus' lifestyle. The tax collectors were the hardened sinners of his Jesus' day, and yet they were the ones he spent his time befriending. And the result of his welcoming them, eating with them, befriending and accepting them, they wanted to hear what he had to say. They were never going to set foot inside the synagogue. But because he met them on their turf, they were ready to listen. When he spoke of the kingdom of God. Hardened sinners haven't lost their way. They're not trying and failing to do the right thing. They are sinners to the core. And yet, God still loves them. And it's gone God's agenda to change their hearts and turn their lives around. That's why Jesus sought their company. His acceptance of them paved the way for their repentance. And that set the angels in heaven singing for joy. In Jesus, we see God getting his hands dirty to save sinful people. In his befriending of those who are beyond the pale, we see the love which brought Jesus down from heaven to live amongst us, to become one of us, one with us. Standing in line with everybody else to get baptised at the very start of his ministry. Consorting and, and spending time with people who are beyond the pale, holding nothing back in terms of reaching out to people who are lost until he took our sin upon himself at the cross. The entire orientation of his ministry was to seek and to save the lost. From baptism to the company he kept, to his death upon the cross. It's all about saving us. And so in the frantic searching of a shepherd looking for a missing sheep, or a woman searching for a lost coin, we see God's passion about finding us, recovering us, saving us, rescuing us, keeping lives that are being lost or thrown away. And God's heart hasn't changed. He still rejoices with the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. More so than however many of us come to church Sunday by Sunday and keep our noses clean. Make no mistake, it's good and right that we are here together to worship God. But when you leave this place, go back out into the world to rub shoulders with anyone and everyone you meet, God's heart, is for us to befriend and welcome and accept. Not just to stick to the people we know and are comfortable with, but actually to be open to share the welcome and the love and the acceptance of God with anyone and everyone. And if God places within you the gift of evangelism and a passion for those who are lost, then just be aware of how all-consuming that can be. T.T. Studd said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Of course, the angels only start rejoicing when someone's actually come to repentance. When God has turned their lives around. When he's changed their mindset. When he's transformed the orientation of their hearts. It's a miracle of grace, every single time. And no one, even hardened sinners, even those beyond the pale, are beyond God's redeeming, saving power. That's precisely why God sent his son. That's precisely why he gave us a saviour. That's precisely why Jesus died on the cross for us. And there is no one so hardened or set in their ways that God cannot place within them his Holy Spirit and change the entire direction and outcome of their lives. And if God is looking for you this morning, then be in no doubt that he will not rest until he's found you and recovered you and turned your life around and brought you home. Most of us, particularly those of us who come to church, we're really quite careful about concealing what we're, we're like from other people. Sometimes we can be afraid that if they knew what we be really like, they would turn away from us in disgust. But get this, God knows what you are really like. There is nothing about you that God does not know. There is no part Of who you are that God does not love. There is no aspect of your life that God has not redeemed through His Son, Jesus Christ. In the stories Jesus told, the woman was looking for a coin, an inanimate object. The shepherd was looking for a sheep that had just wandered off. It wasn't trying to hide, however much I personalized. The story of the sheep in the early part of the service, it was just a dumb animal that just wandered off from the rest of the flock. But we, we are purposeful. We are conscious. We have intention. Have you been hiding from God or avoiding God? Have you been holding out against God? Perhaps this morning is the time for you to stand up and say, Lord, I'm over here. Please come and rescue me. Please come and sort me out. Please come and set me right. going to ask that we just spend a moment in quiet. And in the silence... If you feel that's a prayer, you need to pray. Just say, Lord, here I am. Please. Bring me home. Thank you, Lord, that you know me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Thank you that your perfect love casts out fear. Thank you that you give grace. forgive and in Christ there is no condemnation Lord where we've gone wrong turn us round and bring me back I pray in Jesus name Amen If that was a significant prayer for you Please have a word with someone and ask them to pray with you, to talk with you before you leave. A Christian you know and trust. Michael's around. I'm around. If you're at home, uh, contact someone and just say, Can I talk to you? Can I pray with you? Can I have your help to get back online again where I should be? It's time to stop running away. Aren't we all sinners? Yes, we are. Aren't we all sinners saved by grace? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand and sing together. Amazing grace. How sweet this is. share together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.